0: Can without playing pain. Without pain, Without playing. But without pain, if you can stand with us and sing, let's make a joyful noise to the Lord. You for who you are we thank you for who you let us be to you father god i pray that you would help me to divide your word properly that i would present it in a way you would like pray that you would give us hearts to hear from you i pray this in jesus name amen Morning. Morning. Morning Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. What you just heard is actually from the Old Testament which was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And um, we look at this a little bit closer on Palm Sunday traditionally, because today is Palm Sunday. Regardless of how many times I've announced in the past few weeks that it is Palm Sunday next week, today it really is. Somehow the month of March planning got away from me a little bit, or totally. So we're going to be looking at the triumphant entry, as it's called in the uh, lines of your Bible. We're going to start in Luke, chapter 19. There are two great accounts of this, um, in Luke and in Matthew. But I feel like, again, with Luke, he gives so much detail. I'm going to go with Luke here for the beginning, and we'll see where we go from here. So it starts with the words, after Jesus had said this, and like I said, if you're doing biblical interpretation, or if you're digging deeper into scripture, you should usually go back and see what they're referring to. Jesus just got done telling a parable of uh, 10 minus, where he gave the uh, king, goodness, <clears throat> sorry, I had a, a frog there for a second. Um, the king called in 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus, which is money. And he said, Put the money to work, right? So he tells this parable, which you can read on your own. But what we're coming into at verse 28 is a transitional part where it says, After Jesus said this. So I figured we should look back. What did he say? So after Jesus said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever written. Untie it, untie it, excuse me, and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead of them went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them. Why are you untying the colt? Which is really a great question if you find someone untying your livestock. Why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When they came near the place where the road was going down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyously to praise praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I'm gonna stop there for just a second. So those of you who have a similar mindset to I do historically, you have a tendency possibly to feel unqualified to speak about spiritual matters or you feel unqualified to minister. And I will assure you from the bottom of my heart, you outrank the stones. You have far more expertise than the rocks, but if you stay quiet, Jesus says the rocks will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you had known on this day, what would bring you peace? but now is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when the enemies will build an embankment around you and circle you and hem you in on every side. And they will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. As Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, He's riding the colt of a donkey, as is prophesied in Ezekiel. People are laying down their coats and putting palms on the road so that the dust isn't flying up. They're doing this because they're recognizing that he is of great importance. They are treating him as a king going through. And his disciples are shouting out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So the Pharisees seeing this are probably mixed with all kinds of feelings. Because believe it or not, the word Pharisee doesn't actually mean bad guy. Pharisees are very religious people that are following the the law of religion to the letter. They are doing everything physically that they can do. So when they see someone calling out to the king, they're like, Okay, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a very bold statement to a Pharisee, or a Sadducee for that matter, but that's a very bold statement. Also, there is a fear there, I'm sure, because they're proclaiming someone king in an area where Caesar is clearly king, or where Herod or a tetriarch is clearly the king. You wouldn't call someone else king. That could get you in a lot of trouble. So I don't know if the Pharisees are more motivated by proper exercise of religion or more motivated of, dude, shut up, we're going to get in trouble. And I don't want to make it too simple there. But both of those are a real possibility. But if you look through, everyone is looking for this Messiah to come. Well, not the Sadducees but the Pharisees and the common people are all looking for the Messiah to come because they think he's going to lead an army and destroy Rome. And the things they're calling out here historically are the same things that they called out to Judas Maccabee when he led a rebellion and freed the Israelite people. And what I think is so powerful is here in verse 41, when Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, he sees the city and he weeps over it. They're calling out that he is the king, but all he does is he looks at the city and weeps. And it's my belief he's weeping because they missed the point. They don't get it. And then he says something that doesn't happen. For decades and in fact when the book of Luke is penned it's still 10 years before this takes place but this is exactly what takes place to Jerusalem if you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace but now is hidden from your eyes the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you which they did Encircle you and hem you in on every side, which they did, and dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. And they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. They tore down the temple, they destroyed the city, they killed everybody in it in the year 70 AD. They figured Luke was penned in about 60 AD at the latest. Jesus would have said this far earlier than that. That's amazing. But he's weeping because they missed. They aren't seeing what's what's before them. And I feel that we still do that. We have a very clear image of what God must do. And something that's becoming more and more clear to me every day that I'm alive is that God is going to do what's best and I'm not going to get it until it happens. I'm not going to understand what God is doing. Even if I have like an inkling that God is doing something, it's usually so much more magnificent than what I thought or just completely different. So even when people are recognizing the authority of Jesus, they're missing what he came to do. And I don't mean to be depressing about the triumphant entry, because most times you hear people talking about the triumphant entry. It it is that. They're recognizing Jesus as the king. And that is significant, and that is wonderful, and that is worth remembering and worth celebrating. But as is with Scripture, there's never just one thing happening. This is one of my, this is becoming one of my favorite accounts in the Bible too, is here at verse 45. After he gets to Jerusalem, he goes to the temple. Then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. There's other places in scripture that go a little more into detail about how he drives them out. And I actually had a really great conversation about that on two different occasions recently, where Jesus is driving out people that are selling sacrifice animals in the outer court of the temple to take into the inner court of the temple. If you look at a diagram of the temple, which you might even have in your Bible, there's the inner court where no one can go, There's where the men go, right behind that's where the women go. And then on the outside, this outer court is called the Court of Gentiles. This is where people who are on the outskirts, these are people that cannot go into the temple to worship, come to worship the true God. This is where people who recognize that Yahweh is God and really want to worship God, there is a place for them in this temple by design, where they can go into the outer courts and they can worship God. Now, the problem is is that the religious leaders have now filled that outer court with animals for sacrifices and a marketplace where you can buy things for your sacrifices. And they took a place that was supposed to be a holy place for Gentiles to worship, and they filled it full of sheep dung. And it is my belief that that is really the heart of why Jesus is angry. That is my pet theology on that, though. Also, perhaps they're making unrighteous gains. They're not supposed to be selling anything in the temple. Money's not supposed to be changing hands in the temple. There's many layers to this. Nothing good is happening here. But as a non-Jew, I really connect to the idea that Jesus' whole mission was to reconcile all people to himself. And he does this while on earth, too, by clearing out this distraction, and this abomination from the place where God would call people to himself. I almost brought my interwoven gospel to flip back and forth between Matthew and Luke this morning, because there's some details in Matthew that I love the way it's phrased, and then there's places in Luke where I think it's phrased wonderfully, And instead, I just picked one. But if you're interested, it's in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 17. It's the same account, slightly different wording. But as we're going through Palm Sunday, it's one of the things that's on every calendar. And we think about these people waving palm branches and laying them down on the road and hailing Jesus King. Do we see Jesus as a king? We don't have a king in this country. What does that mean if Jesus is king? And I'm not going to answer that question, but if you say that, Jesus is king, and I agree, what does that actually mean? There's an implication there. There's many implications there. I would highly encourage you to look into that. What does that mean? If Jesus is king, what does that mean? I assume all of you have a Google machine or an old set of encyclopedias that you bought years ago and haven't used. I want you to look at what that means. What does it mean to be a king? What is a king? What does it mean for Jesus to be our king? And then, to take it a step further, how do we live as though we're under the kingship of Jesus Christ? You're like I didn't want homework today. Sorry. And I already brought up in verse 39. Where the Pharisees, the religious people are like, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Get them to be quiet. They can't say this stuff. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. That is a very powerful image as well. It needs proclaimed. In fact, it's so important that this message be proclaimed that Jesus says the rocks themselves will cry out. In Matthew 21, verse 6, I'm not going to read the whole account, but verse 6 here. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on him, and Jesus sat on them. And the very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road and while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road, and the crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna means save. They're pretty much crying out, save us. And like I alluded to in the other chapter, this is what they shouted to the Maccabees, if you look into the story of Hanukkah. They want them to save them from the oppression and from the Romans. Save us. And Jesus did come to save them, but they're missing how he planned to do it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. I like this detail in Matthew too. And I know I just read you all of this. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house is to be called a house of prayer and you are making it a den of robbers. For those of you who really attach themselves to that skinny, fair-skinned guy with the cap teeth and all the pictures that's supposed to be Jesus, I saw an, ar- what is he, he was an archeologist I believe, that was talking about these tables that the money changers would have used, weighing 600 pounds. Jesus was flipping 600-pound tables. Because in all reality, though he's a carpenter in that area of the world, he's a stonemason. He isn't the frail little man in the dress that you see in some pictures of Jesus. I'm not saying that he looked like a power lifter either, but at the same time, he's flipping 600-pound tables. The blind came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, because so now the children are even shouting in the temple area. Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? Now. I love the way he phrases this. He's talking to people who are experts in all scripture. And he's about to say something from the Old Testament, and he says, have you never read? This is, has the potential to really offend somebody. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. And they left them. Um, and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. And I know this is far less scripture than I've been going through lately on a Sunday morning. But I believe it deserves its own time to be thinking about what is it that Jesus came to accomplish. In a culture where everybody is looking to be rescued from the oppressive governments What was it that Jesus came to do? He came to save. He came to reconcile us to the Father. But he didn't overtake Rome. He didn't overthrow Rome. He answered the prayers that were coming from people that were seeking after God since the beginning of time but not the way anybody was looking for, at all. In fact, because of that, we have several books actually called The Upside-Down Kingdom from a a variety of authors. Because everything that people expected the Messiah to be, Jesus was not. Yet at the same time, fulfilled all those prophecies, just not in the way people were looking for it. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Have you ever heard children singing to Jesus? There's a purity there that we lack as adults. Have you ever heard a child pray, honestly pray, not just repeat the prayer before them? It's beautiful because it's not inhibited by all the filth that makes up a human lifetime. Jesus tells us, unless we come as little children. Unless we come as little children. In another part of scripture, he calls children the greatest in the kingdom of God. What does it mean to come as a little child? Does it mean to come ignorantly? I should think not. Does it mean to come without preconceived notions, with open arms and open eyes? Does it mean to be full of love and trust? It becomes rather laborious to try to generate as an adult. The two hardest things to do as a grown person is to love and to trust. Yet, for some reason, those seem to be the two things that every child is born able to do. Something else that grows more and more significant on this side of the cross is that term, Hosanna, save, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A repeating theme in Scripture is God using people that aren't qualified or using people that don't feel qualified or using the least person in the smallest tribe. And it brings God a great amount of glory when he does these things. The Christian tradition is the only religion on earth where God Himself comes to die for you. Which further to me enforces what I already believe, which is what I believe is true. Because all of the delightful comforts of mythology are missing from Christianity. I know I'm going a little shorter than normal, but that's really what I had for you this morning. So throughout this week, I want you to be thinking, what does it mean to be a king? What does it mean that Jesus is our king? And what does it look like to live under the rule of a king? That's what I want you to think about. That's what I want you to figure out. Some of you may already know. Anyhow, this is probably the shortest sermon I've ever done. If you can stand without pain, please do so. Father God, I thank you for everything that you've done for us. I thank you for everything that you mean to us. I thank you that you are in fact a king. I pray that you would bless our journey to discover what that means. Father God, I pray that you would give us the strength to submit and to obey. That you would give us the ability to love and to trust. Father God, again, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. It looks like I put Chad Keeler on the hook again to do the announcements in prayer, and uh, as he's coming—you can come up, that's fine—as he's coming up,
1: yeah, yeah, that's good.
0: As he's coming up, uh, I just wanted to reiterate um, or reshare, this Thursday night is a Maundy Thursday service here at the church at 7 o'clock. We are going to be having soup together out there and having communion at the table, And then we're going to be having a foot washing. Don't be scared if you have something where you hate feet, which I did not know really was a thing to the degree I found out this week. Someone was very appalled at the idea of having anyone see their feet. There are two other entrances to this sanctuary. You can take either one. But if you've never had someone wash your feet. As mundane as that sounds, it may break you. It is the most amazing thing. It is, it, is, uh, it is a strange practice for some of us, but it is an amazing experience, and I would highly recommend that you take part in it. Um, aside from that, tonight we have um, our Sparty Community Service, and there's a great group of churches that are going to be meeting together, just you know, fragments from each church here tonight at 7. And our piano is freshly tuned, and there's someone that's going to play it from a different church. And we've got people that are going to be leading, leading hymns from different churches. And we're going to have a time of fellowship. And if you're able to come, please do. As much as it's hard for me to do new things sometimes, when I started going to those, I found them incredibly... Uh, I don't know if helpful is the right word, but I enjoyed it. I enjoy spending time with believers from other churches. I would highly recommend if you're able to. If you need a ride, call me. That's what I got. Go ahead, Chad.
2: (laughs) Okay, we'll take time for announcements. Uh, We do want to thank everyone that donated to the auction yesterday or came out to help and uh, I think it was a good turnout and by the numbers we made $975.50 so i think that was extremely extremely well and uh any other announcements
0: offering today is going to
2: that project. Right. The offering that, that is taken today will go directly to the MCC projects. I think that was announced before, but we'll announce it again. Any other announcements? Sewing Thursday, certain time? Well, 9.30-ish. ish she says. <laughs> Whenever you get here. <laughs> but not too late, because she'll be gone. So how that works. <laughs> okay, any other announcements? If not, we'll go into praises, prayer requests. I
0: got one real quick. I shared this with Sunday School, but not everyone was here for that. So uh, Don, I talked to Don Ash yesterday and he's healing incredibly quickly um, to the delight of everyone but Don, because he wishes he was already healed completely. But uh, the doctor was flabbergasted at how well his spine is healing. So let's praise God for that. And also, uh, he wanted me to thank the people that made him the card from the Sunday school class because it absolutely made his day. It made him feel loved and appreciated, and uh, that was a really great thing. And he wanted me to let the people involved in that know that as well.
2: to keep Jen in your prayers as she's continuing to go through testing and new medications. I'll just have to say it was nice to reconnect with with people you haven't seen for a long time. Uh, just a, a real blessing to be out yesterday and and uh, weather cooperated so it was it was a beautiful day to be out and about for sure.
0: Anyone else? Oh, I have something that probably should have went during the announcement time. Uh, But I guess it's okay during prayer time because I would like you all to be praying about it. But uh, we'll be starting a baptism and membership class um, in a couple weeks here on Sunday after church, potentially after lunch. So if you are feeling led to be baptized, I would like you to know that you're invited to come be baptized or to come become a member or if you just want to go through the class because you didn't do one or you had to rush through yours i would very much uh appreciate the uh, experience to go through that with you um but i'm very excited two people have agreed to become baptized members of the church and i'm so excited for that so um if you're feeling that i would highly encourage it and if you want to be baptized without becoming a member i'm also very willing to baptize you without becoming a member But I would like to invite you to become a member of our fellowship as well.
2: Okay, if there's no other praises or prayer requests, we'll have Luke come forward and lead us in prayer.
0: If you can stand, please do. Father God, I thank you again for the community that you've given us, for the families you've given us. Father God, I pray that you would be with Jenna as she's getting these tests done and trying new medications, Lord. I pray that you would give her doctors wisdom. I pray that her body would respond, Lord. I pray that you would be somehow glorified in this situation, Lord. Father, I thank you that Don is healing so quickly. I pray that you would give him patience. Father, I pray that you would continue to show us in the congregation how to meet each other's needs and how to be there for one another. Father, I thank you for the blessing it was to have the uh, food stand at the auction yesterday, Lord, and the connections we were able to reestablish with people. We thank you for the nice weather that you had, and we thank you for providing for us the ability to serve. Father, I pray for the baptism and membership class coming up. I pray that you would draw people to you, Lord, and that we would help to facilitate an ongoing and loving relationship full of discipleship with the people that you bring us. We thank you and we praise you, Jesus. Also, I pray that you would bless the meal after church and those who are able to stay in the time of fellowship, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Chad. Oh, I just want to take a real quick poll. Uh, I've had it suggested by a couple different people now. Who would be interested in extending church lunches past March? Got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. If nothing else, seven or eight people would like to have lunch together after church. So we will go ahead and extend church lunches. I know there's going to be weeks where people aren't able to go, but it's a great time of fellowship. It really is. And if it becomes taxing on you, but you want the fellowship, let us know. Maybe we can schedule some sort of soup of the day or something. We'll figure it out. But I do love the fellowship, and I appreciate you all. Thank you so much. Um, we will not be doing it next Sunday, though. We're having breakfast between Sunrise Service and the regular service. Please come to Sunrise Service. We'll sing, we'll sing a lot, we'll sing a lot for Sunrise Service, and we'll have some breakfast together. So please, if you're able to come, the Sunrise Service will actually be quite a while after sunup, but some of you have cows to milk, so we'll do a Sunrise Service at 8.30 we'll have breakfast and then we'll have the regular service so next week we won't actually be having Sunday school and we won't uh, be having lunch after church but it should still be a great time of fellowship so please please come someone already said they're making sausage gravy so if that entices you at all anyway uh, Judy are you leading the hymns today thank you so much if um, what books do we need Blue hymnal, if you would please gather around the outside of the sanctuary, we'll sing to the middle.